from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. We turn now to God's holy word. Our first lesson is from Joshua 3, verses 15 through 17, starting on page 187 in the Old Testament of your pew Bibles. Hear now God's word for you and for me. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. So when those who bore the ark had come to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still, rising up in a single heap far off at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, while those flowing toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Dead Sea, were wholly cut off. Then the people crossed over opposite Jericho. While all Israel were crossing over on dry ground, the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the entire nation finished crossing over the Jordan. Turning to the New Testament, we'll read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, starting on page 51 in the New Testament. Here again God's word. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it was one of the longest drives I've ever had to make. Long not because of the amount of, of time spent on the road, but long because the events precipitating that particular car ride made the minutes pass at a snail's pace. See, just a month prior, I had become uh, engaged to a woman I met during my senior year of college. Now, a year past graduation, we were engaged, and I had traveled to her parents' home about seven hours from where my parents lived to spend the Thanksgiving holiday with them. I was 23 years old, and she was 22. My plan was to leave on Tuesday and stay with her family through Saturday, but I wound up staying only one night. See, after a very difficult 
conversation on the night that I arrived, uh, it became very clear to me, very obvious, that our relationship was on the brink of collapse. And collapse, it did. Uh, she gave me back the ring. I put it in my pocket, got in my car, and, and I pulled out of her driveway, and I began that long journey home. And that whole drive, from the moment I left her home, that whole drive, I felt the longing for my own. Have you ever had that feeling? Just desperately longing to be home, to be with your family, to be with the people, your people, undeniably your people who love you, who want the best for you, who pray for you, who encourage you, who will welcome you in like my family did in that time, even as I was carrying the heavy load of, of shame, of, of embarrassment, of grief, of heartbreak. I longed to be home. If you've been around these last few weeks, you know we have framed this Lenten season under the heading, The Long Journey Home. And we've traced the steps of the people called Israel on the road to the land that God had promised, the land that they would eventually receive. We heard it read by Rebecca from the text in Joshua from their liberation from slavery in Egypt to the various stops along the way, we, we reasoned theologically together so that we might draw parallels from that journey to our own journey of faith and to be encouraged in these long Lenten days of what it means to keep faith and to be, obedience, to, to be obedient rather to Jesus Christ. We left off last week reminded that even though the people of God were rescued, and many of us, even if we weren't here, we know that story. They were rescued as, as Egypt was pressing in on them, as Pharaoh's armies were chasing them down. They come to the edge of the sea, and God intervenes in human history and makes a way for them to cross safely to the other side. Even though we named that miraculous intervention, we also named the fact that those same people had a long wilderness road ahead. 40 years of road, of wandering, of longing for home. We took that 40-year journey, and we made another parallel to the parallel of Jesus' final week before his crucifixion. We drew the lines, we connected the dots between Jesus' journey that begins Holy Week, a journey that starts in the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem, where he rides in, hailed as king, but only a few days later where he will be betrayed by his closest friends, will be handed over to the chief priest, where he will be tortured, spat upon, led to a hill, and executed under the authority of an occupying force sanctioned by Rome. We named the fact that Jerusalem, even in this time, even in the midst of this great party and this great celebration, Jerusalem was a troubled city. Jerusalem was a place where prophets like Jesus went to die and die, he did. And within this frame, we, we named one of the most challenging aspects of 
of Christian discipleship. We named one of the most challenging aspects of our faith. Obedience to God often requires us to walk wilderness roads. Obedience to God often requires us to ride into troubled cities the way Jesus did. One of the great friends of this church, a man of deep and faithful action who volunteers at our community ministries prayer breakfast each and every Sunday. He, he volunteers during the week up on the second floor with our most vulnerable neighbors. We were at breakfast this morning, at the prayer breakfast this morning, and I came up to him and I wished him a happy Easter and he did the same to me. And then he said, Tony, I've never felt that we needed Easter more than we do right now. More than we do right now. Now, to, to give you a little bit of context about this man, he's in his late 60s, maybe early 70s. He's African-American. He has walked many wilderness roads in his time. He has seen many troubled cities. But he said today, today more than ever, as we look at our world and our lives, we need the good news of Easter morn. For he is right, there are many wilderness roads, there are many troubled cities that mark our living today. And these roads, these roads we walk, and these troubled cities in which we ride, stir in us like they have for him. They stir in us in the very depths of our being. They stir in us a longing for Easter, which is another way to say that they stir in us a longing for home. For home. So this morning, I would invite you to consider the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as homecoming. As homecoming but maybe in a different way than we expect as we walked into this sanctuary this morning. For many of us, our common assumption about Easter Sunday is that when God raised Jesus from the dead, what it guaranteed for us is an eternal home with God when we die. Many of us came in with that assumption. Even if we're not familiar with worship, even if we're not familiar with the Christian gospel, even if we wouldn't call ourselves a Christian, we know at least this much from just being in a culture like ours, we know this much that what Christ has done in his ministry is open the doors to an eternal home. And we come to Easter Sunday worship in many ways just to say thank you for that free gift of grace. This ministry is one that Jesus talked about himself in the Gospel of John. He said, in my Father's house there are many rooms and I go there to prepare a place for you. Back in February, I got to see with my own eyes and feel with my own heart the powerful partnership we have with the St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Nairobi, Kenya. It's a partnership we've had for over 20 years. The church of 3,000 members is committed to many different types of ministries. It's like our church here in Atlanta. But, but they're committed, as we are here, to to different ministries of homecoming. 
different ministries of homecoming. For example, one day we, we visited a home on the outskirts of the city for boys who have been abandoned. Their ages are between 4 and 15, and I met some of these boys. And this home that has been constructed and has been built are for these boys who have been abandoned, who have been left by their parents, either because they couldn't take care of them or they didn't want to take care of them anymore. And the men's ministry, the men's small groups, the men's fellowship rallied around this challenge in the city of Nairobi, and they built a home where these kids could be safe and loved and cared for, a place to call their own, a place to be spiritually and physically nourished, given an education. And when you talk to men like these who have a passion and a call to this type of ministry, it just inspires your faith. But their passion is rivaled, nay, exceeded by that of the women's guild, as it often is in churches. They've created a home for girls. These girls are not street kids. They're about the same age. They're common denominators that all of them have HIV. And they've created a home where they can have their, their needs met in, in, in one locale, have doctors come to them, have nurses come to them, have them have an education to be physically and spiritually nourished. I, I was speaking with one of the women who, who's taking a leadership role in this particular ministry with these young girls. And, and I asked her what compelled her to get involved. And she looked at me, you know this look, like I should know better. She said, we're simply showing in a tangible way what God has done for us in all eternity. We're just trying to give these kids a glimpse of what God has accomplished for them once and for all in life everlasting. Yes, that is true. Easter Sunday means that the doors of everlasting life are open to us because Christ has opened them with his very life. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a homecoming in another way. Might it be that Easter is not just about our eternal homecoming, not just about what happens to us when we die, but it's about our earthly, an earthly homecoming rather. It's about the, the earthly homecoming of God, right? Yeah, Easter makes it possible for us to experience a homecoming when we die, but Easter also makes it possible for a homecoming of God to be with us right now. In other words, God is just as much at home on earth as God is in heaven, right? I mean, the gospel writer Mark does his very best to actually tell this story like it's a homecoming story. The young man standing in the empty tomb, as he describes it, is robed in white and says, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, look, there is the place where he was laid, but, but go tell his disciples, go tell Peter, go tell his people that he's coming back to them, that he's actually coming home to Galilee. And there he says you will see him just as he promised. He's headed home to Galilee. He's heading home to his people. He's heading home to Peter and, and the disciples 
Home in the Christian story is not a cross. Home is not the tomb. Home is not exclusively heaven. Home for God is God's people. Home for God is the troubled cities God loves. Home is God's body on earth, the church who is willing to walk wilderness roads for the sake of the gospel. Friends, to put it as simply as I can, home is you. It's you. It's me. It's all of us. It's this world. Friends, God is very much at home when God is in our life. God is very much at home when God resides in our heart. Now, I want to be very clear about this. God does not need us to be at home. God does not need us to be at home. There's not a deficiency in God's character where God needs us to be at home. But God in God's divine love and grace chooses to be at home with us. That is the good news. But on a day like today, and I've been finding myself doing this before the morning starts as I arrive here in my office on Sunday morning at 6 a.m., I go to CNN because I want to know what's happening in the world because so much bad news is happening in the world. On a day like today, I, I really connect with what my friend said at breakfast this morning, that that at a corporate level, the world has not made much room for God to be at home. The same is true for my life, and, and maybe it's true for your life. I mean, we've invited, I've invited so many other things to be at home with that I've left little room, maybe you've left little room for God's homecoming, right? Instead of being at home with God, we're at home with addiction. We're at home with our self-indulgent and self-centered choices. We're at home in the worship of our careers or our status or our bank accounts or our grades. We are at home in our isolation. We're at home in our fear and loneliness. We are at home in our lies and our deception. We're at home with a life of escape through any means necessary. We're, we become very much at home with our bitterness or our stubbornness or our grudges or our constant conviction that we're always right. We're at home with the quest for perfection that often leads to self-doubt and self-rejection. We are at home with vengeance and, and violence. We're at home with our apathy. We're at home with our cultural, non-integrated, one-day-of-week Christianity. We're at home with all the commitments and patterns and pursuits that hinder us from realizing that God is trying to make a home in our life and in our heart. But it doesn't have to be that way, friends. It doesn't have to be that way at all. You know, I opened this sermon with a, with a personal story, right, of, of longing for home and what that feels like. We talked about the wilderness roads and the, and the troubled cities in which we live that, that create in us a desire for home. We talked about our friends in Kenya who have this deep desire for home that propels them to create home for those who don't have one. 
And I want you to tap into your own feelings of longing for home. Can you do that for me? Just, just tap into those feelings. Get a sense of what that feels like in your body and in your mind and in your, in your, whole, in your soul. Get, get a sense of that feeling and, and then take that feeling and multiply it ad infinitum and you still only scratch the surface of how God longs to be at home with us. You're just scratching the surface. God's desire to make a home with us is clearly stated in the book of Revelation. It says, see, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. So deep is this longing that God has for you and for me and for this world, that even death cannot undo it. Jesus was raised for such a purpose that God would home in on us, that God would give the forgiveness and grace we need to have a life reset, to turn us around, to repent and to go in a different way, a way filled with renewed resolve and spiritual purpose. Look, if you're, if you're here in the sanctuary, if you're live streaming online, if you're watching this on delay and on demand, or you're tuning in on Facebook or on the radio, on television, wherever you are, if you're hearing this, this sermon, if you desire God's homecoming in your life afresh, afresh, just again to, to enter in, I'd invite you to ask for it. But I'm also ever mindful that, that we live in a world of people who, who didn't grow up hearing this story we read today. I know there's people who, who have never been part of a, of a faith community, of a church like this one. What is more, they've, they've never had the sense that God could be at home in their life and that they could have a renewed purpose. So whether you want to receive it afresh or whether you want to receive it for the very first time, God's homecoming is ours today. And so I'd invite you now in your pews as you're sitting to take a posture of prayer, whatever that means for you. It may mean close your eyes. It may mean to bow your heads. It may mean to, to open your hands. It may mean to look up, to raise your hands. Whatever it is, take a posture of prayer. And I invite you to pray a prayer that I'm going to pray. You can, you can pray it in the silence of your heart. You can pray it in a hushed tone right where you are, even in this moment. To ask God to make God's home with you. Let us pray. God of resurrection, make your home in my life. I turn away from that which has hindered your homecoming in me. Forgive me and make me new. I accept your homecoming in Jesus Christ. And I pray for the grace and courage to follow him in every area of my life. Give me the grace and the courage to stay connected to the church 
your body. And give me the grace and courage to joyfully work for justice, peace, and reconciliation so your homecoming may be received not just in me, but throughout the whole wide world. God, I am home with you. Amen.